Moira, welcome to the Business Growth Mindset Top Achievers Podcast. It is so wonderful to have you here today. Thank you for making the time to come and see us. Appreciate the invitation. Looking forward to the conversation. Uh, if you are, trust me, I am like the fat kid <laughs> in the candy store, ready and excited. I have been waiting for this moment for a very long time. I know um, some people on the podcast uh, may know you. Um, I've admired your work for many years Um and I had the privilege of first truly meeting you um, when I was working at the university and you were launching She EO and the concept blew my mind. Um, obviously having worked as an entrepreneur in resident um, and being an adjunct professor in entrepreneurship, commercialization and innovation, I realized really early on that it wasn't always equal, right? And it still isn't. And it's very challenging for, um, for women in particular to capital raise, even though we have some phenomenal female VCs, um, it's still a challenge. And what I loved is that when I first saw CEO and then started digging around a bit more about all the work you've done, I was blown away. And I've got goosebumps underneath me as I say this to you. I, as I said, I truly am excited that you're here today. And and I'm rather than me tell the story, I'm going to get you to tell the story. But uh, just for our listeners, um, Moira has... Uh, uh, has achieved a great deal in her life and I think it's testimony of why she's a top achiever um, and in my opinion it's because you're driven by passion and by purpose and hopefully that's going to come through in today's conversation but you're currently you're the founder of Chooks Hens House Co-op CoLab for Good um, you're also an activator and facilitator for CEO um, you're also on the advisory board for the office of the South Australian Chief Entrepreneur um, we actually had Paul Edgington in, who is also on, on that board. But why you're really here is not all these amazing achievements. You've also got an Order of Australia, or you're an AM, which is phenomenal. Um, and you receive that because of your passion and work, I guess, in areas of social work and social welfare, if, you know, if, if I might need to be corrected. But predominantly, your focus is on gender equality, diversity, and also inclusion. Um, but more important, to give women the same opportunity, I think, that, you know, us privileged white men should, they should have. And, you know, I'm, people that know me, that listen to the podcast know, you know, 85% of my clients are women. You know, I own six companies, five of them are female led. Uh, I'm pretty sure that other than Alex um, and one other man, male in our company, they're all women. Um, and so I'm, you know, and, and if some people say it's because when you had a daughter, you changed, you know, Actually, no, it's always been me. Um, I believe in everyone should have a fair and equitable opportunity to do whatever they choose to do, right, regardless. Um, and I really love that that's starting now to really come out the forefront of everything that we do. So, Moira, welcome. And if we are uh, now that I've given you that brief, brief, that was the briefest introduction that I could pull together. And I, I encourage anyone that is listening, you've got to jump onto Moira's uh, LinkedIn just to have a look. But I warn you, it will take you a while and it is well worth reading. I mean, just before I let you go, you actually were the chief of staff for Honorable Trish White too. Um, another formidable and f amazing uh, woman who has achieved a huge amount and is still continuing to achieve like you are. Um, so Moira, welcome and why don't we, in your own words, tell us a little bit about you, where did it all start and, and, and sort of what drove you to where you are today? 
Yeah, thank you. And thanks for the invitation. I just want to acknowledge that I'm on Ghana country. Absolutely. And um, I uh, really want to pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging, of which there are an incredible number of uh, women, particularly to just in business, if you like, and that this is land that's never been ceded. And I always start with that because um, I want to recognise my own privilege as a white woman uh, from settler stock that none of us would be able to be doing any of this without that foundation and incredible custodianship that we all are now beneficiaries of. So I th um, I grew up here mostly in South Australia, although I did I was born in Streaky Bay when my mum and dad were uh, uh, young teachers. And in those days, you know, you used to have to pay off your bond, so they got sent to the country. And, um, and then as a child, I spent a few years in uh, Papua New Guinea and in the UK. So I think those foundations of knowing that I was part of something much, much bigger um, was a really fabulous start in life and meant that I uh, was always exposed to diversity and you your comments about inclusion as well. I really appreciate that being so visible and that you're mentioning it because for me, um, you know, diversity is like the theory, but inclusion is the practice. Absolutely. And um, so from a women's point of view, gender has always been important to me. Um, I always say that's because I started off my gender career in the brownies <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was a sixer when I was seven mm -hmm. and uh, so was always um, in leadership roles from a very young age and not about leading myself but building community and leading others and that somehow was in my DNA, I think. I um, always didn't see that any success I had was all about me, but the fact that we had whatever, whoever we were, we were making something together. And um, some years ago when I started looking at the gender gap for investment, I was just completely blown away. I, I'd always help people, um, you know, be more equal in their work and promoted women and had women on boards and all of that kind of thing. And I was literally sitting down um, after a couple of young women had spoken to me about some challenges that had raising capital. And they were both extraordinarily, uh, in different fields, extraordinarily competent and discovered that the, um, you know, in venture capital, less than 4% was going to female founders. So that's not an accident. That's a design problem. Okay. And the design problems that I, um, my analysis is it's patriarchy and colonisation. So I thought, well, what, you know, I was at a um, dinner with uh, some well-known uh, capital investors in this town and I'd been invited to it and everyone was there sort of pitching their wares to a potential um, investors. When it came to my turn, I wasn't there to raise capital, I was there to, as a guest. Um, I said, well, the thing I'm disrupting is patriarchy. <laughs> And it was like oh, yeah. mic drop moment. Everyone goes, what? Uh, well, you know, this is this is a system. I'm not anti-men. I've got plenty of men in my life. Um, but I am anti-systems that do not um, enable everyone to reach their potential. And so that's really been a big driver. It's always been there for me, but probably in the last 10, 15 years, seeing how we can build more equitable systems to you know, make it a level playing field. Why would you leave 50% of the talent off the table? Like, that's just ridiculous. And it is women, ridiculous. you know, and, and in, in terms of um, investment, women have a better return on investment. So it yep. makes good business sense. I always say, don't don't fall for the gender card, fall for the business card. <laughs> then you'll be you know, making a much better outcome for Maura, yourself. Maura, what, what I love about what you've just said 
is that you say what I'd like to say so much better, <laughs> right? No, no and, I'm, and I mean it. Let's put gender completely aside. We know there's a gender gap. We know we need to fix that. But when you actually put gender aside and you just look at people as people, right? Forget even race, all of those things. Like, you know, I always say to people, I, do, I don't understand racism. I do not understand um, the gap because I'm aware it's there and I'm aware racism in there and the, and, and the gap is there for gender, but also inclusion. And we're not just talking just gender, we're talking everything, right? Mm -hmm. But because I don't judge, I've never been a person that judges anyone. I judge on merit mm -hmm. if, if I'm actually going to judge someone. And I love the way you just put that, which is let's look at the business. Let's look at the person as a person. And I think, you know, as an as a, as a angel investor and, you know, and I've, I've got a lot of investments out there, I always invest in the founder. To me, the gender doesn't bother me. The race doesn't bother me. It's the attitude. If you've got the right attitude, your idea might suck. But you know what? If it's going to cost me a little to see how far you can go, I'm pretty certain that you'll create something special along the way. And I have found that when you give women in particular that chance, they never let you down. It's it's quite it's quite mind blowing. The oh, the return on investments there. I mean, you mentioned mm. Shio at the beginning. So Shio it has a principle of radical generosity. So people gift in. Um, $1,100 and that goes into a perpetual fund. So we're looking at building a $1 billion international. What are you up to now? Uh, good question. So in, in Australia, we've got about 500,000 wow. um, that has been distributed in the last year. Great. And which is very exciting. How can people, how can people who don't know CEO, has me just shameless plug now, <laughs> how, how can they get involved? I know that I'm, I, I, I did something really early on, but and you have to be a woman that gives. Yep. So it's trying to give it through my daughter or yeah, through Lucy's our way. angle. Yeah, yeah. So how can people, just quickly, how can they get involved? If so they just go it? to sheeo.world. Mm -hmm. All the information's there. There's a lot of material that's in the public domain. Um, they have fabulous podcasts. I highly recommend a little listen of those as well. Absolutely. Um, and it's for women and non-binary people. So what we are really trying to do is shift the conditions and shift the system. So while I agree with you about um, you know following the founder, that's really important. But there, are, you have to get on the runway in the first place. Mm. And some of the barriers that exist for women and non-binary and people with disabilities and First Nations, it's not because they're a failure. It's because the system itself doesn't enable that. So we're trying to deconstruct some of those things, create new pathways. So with SheYo, one of the most, um, the best way, if you're not female or not non-binary, gift in an activation to some a woman that you can see has got some potential or just trust us to find the right person for that. And so we've been um, doing that with a number of First Nations people, uh, women for whatever reason perhaps haven't been able to um, make that financial contribution and it is just incredible what's happening. Um, so when every year the people who have made that contribution are the ones that vote up the top or we select five um, ventures to support so that they can access that pool of money and they make that decision themselves about who gets how much out of that. There's only uh, one, two rules. One is that you can't, one person can't have it all, and the other rule is that it can't be equally distributed. Okay. So everyone starts to see what they work that out amongst themselves. So that's participatory budgeting, um, kind of on steroids. It's a, it's an incredible way of doing um, capital funding, and and in South Australia this year, um, 
two of our ventures and South Australian ventures got up into that five. So Minka Amazing. Park from um, Kimchi Club. Okay. And um, she was also in the Food Awards this, this last weekend. This yeah. has gone by. And uh, Super Fierce, which the co-founder of that is um, Trina Probert, or founder. Trina's originally a girl, country girl from Adelaide. They've got their um, operations in Sydney, but we're claiming her as our very own. <laughs> and uh, Super Fierce is a company that helps people make comparisons about their superannuation. And so both men and women can access that, but we have a partnership with them at the Hen House. So if people um, want to do that, then there's a commission that gets returned to the hen house and also a donation that gets made to GoGo Foundation, which is Sarah. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So um, it's a win-win-win. So um, Trenner's got a brilliant uh, social enterprise business model uh, that is helping to close the superannuation gap because in Australia, 47% of women retire with less superannuation than men. Mm-hmm. And that just seems... We've got to fix that up pretty fast. We've got to fix that because I'd like to retire better as well. So, yeah, so I would say that we're... So you can hop onto Superfierce and get a comparison it. done with, at no charge. And then if you want to do a reorganisation, that's when they um, step in and take a commission and help us as well. So it's just a fabulous, fabulous What model. I love about that whole experience is that everyone's winning. Yeah. Yeah, and I think they're always the, the best social enterprises in general. Um, and hopefully it's a for-profit as well. So, oh, yeah. Social know. enterprise doesn't mean um, not-for-profit. Social enterprise means that it's actually re- doing a return for good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always say I've worked in not-for-profits for many years, as you know, and, you know, it's also should be not-for-loss. <laughs> yeah, it should always be not-for-loss. You know, it's, it's it, look, I, 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 that's why I kind of raised that point about social enterprise. So many people say to me, because, you know, I own a social enterprise as well and it's for-profit and everyone always says to us, What's the difference? It's like it's not a non-for-profit. It's a business that has to make money, but there's got to be a social impact strategy around yeah, it. Yeah, about you know, like even even in my advisory firm, we uh, we uh, we well, we we offer two people every twelve weeks to be mentored by me free of charge. So you get thirty minutes each week for twelve weeks. Out of the last eighteen months where we've done that process, uh, only four of those have not gone on to actually hire me as a full-blown consultant. So that these are people that couldn't otherwise afford to have the services, and what are we? It's, the balance is actually eighty percent were women to twenty percent men, and I dare say that the um, I'm pretty sure it's three and one, three men that haven't gone on to do what they needed to do, or only one woman. Um, and one of my one of my clients in Melbourne is doing so well. It's in active therapy, so she uses counselling and martial arts to. Um, to change the lives of uh, people with disabilities and young children, and uh, you know, when I when that when she first pitched that to me two years ago, I was like, I just have to do this, and that, that was actually what spawned this whole concept of me going, you know what, I'm I'm privileged, and I've done so well in my career. Sure, I've had plenty of ups and downs, but I, I've done so well in my career that it's time to give back, and that's what people don't quite understand. And then we also, you know, once those people do come on board, we gift part of what they bring in back to other organisations. And I think that we all do this in some way, shape or form. I don't promote that. You know, it's not something we stick on our website because otherwise I I would have a lot of people on the waiting list and I I wouldn't be able to serve enough people. But it is so rewarding when you see people be able to do something they wouldn't otherwise have been able to do. And, you know, in the words of Elaine Stead, and I'm sure you're friends, you're familiar with Elaine, if not friends with Elaine, Mm -hmm. I'm good friends with Elaine. And she once said to me, 
Christian, you're the best cheerleader on the planet. And I looked at her and I said, you're insulting me, right? And she's like, no. She goes, you're able to get people to do what they otherwise would never have done on their own. And it took me a long time to grasp that. And it was Lucy and I sitting down at dinner one night. She said, you really love helping people. So how can you help more people? I said, well, let's start big conferences. And they're, me being a capitalist, right? It all came. She said, no, no, how can you really help people? You know, look at the way you are with our children. How can you help other people? And that's when, you know, this and combining. And I think that's all it takes is that spark. Yeah. And I guess I want to know, where did you get that spark? I mean, I, mean, I, I know that the foundations were laid for you early, obviously mm-hmm. having a great childhood, being brought up in these different environments. I'm making an assumption here, right? But... Falling into leadership early, growing and building communities, but what is it that makes Maura wake up in the morning and say, I want to do this. I want to, I want to help other people just live their best life because that's essentially what you're saying. Yeah, there, there is that. I, I'm very much, though, not just about the individual. So I really am about community mm-hmm. and um, and the planet. I mean, it's very easy to get up in the morning and want to do something right now when you know, climate justice is yeah. uh, knocking on our door and I'm a grandmother and so I want a world for my grandchild and grandchildren to come to, you know, grow up in that's as good, if not better, than the world I grew up in. So that's a pretty big motivator. I Certainly my, um, I've got one grandchild, he's uh, six and a half and um, I think once he was born I became even more driven and a sense of urgency for getting things into better shape and did you say more driven yeah definitely yeah wow because okay. i you know in well i think most of it, i feel like a bit embarrassed about the things i've done in the past in a way because it's been a lot around um you know just uh, trying to fix the programs or policies that were in place well now i really want to go to a high, much higher level it's around the systems that are holding injustices and inequity in place and so that's not just about helping an individual that's also um you know in adaptive leadership that's sort of standing on the balcony and seeing what everything else is going on and helping people actually understand and see themselves and do what they can with what they have to make the biggest change and so you know if i was an engineer it's you know what's the little lever that you can pull that can actually make something quite big shift and sometimes that's mindsets, definitely for individuals. There's no doubt about that. Um, people still say to me, I've got a text actually from a, a woman who she said to me, 30 years ago, you were running a youth group event and you introduced me to this, dot, 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 dot. It was Fran Peavy's strategic questioning. Um, so if anyone wants to look that up, Fran wow. Peavy, it's fantastic. She said, I still use it. And I just did it today. Um, and she was working with the New South Wales Health Department. So, you know, she was using it as part of the strategies that she's involved with um, in public health. And I'm thinking, there's a little tiny thing I did that she used as a big lever that is now shifting a system at a national level, essentially. So I love seeing um, that, you know, little embryonic idea grow and translate and hold people in their own practice and help them shift the systems they want to shift. So that gets me up in the morning. I get very excited when I, oh, that's really sweet. And then I think, no, actually, that's not sweet. That's bloody awesome. <laughs> Maura, I've got to say, I, I have butterflies in my stomach from just, I'm inspired just listening to you. I mean, I, I, I'm motivated, right? So I'm, I'm incredibly motivated. And I know a lot of our listeners are 
very motivated, some extremely successful. And then we also have another group who is motivated but doesn't know how. And I think one thing that I'm really feeling, and I hope that the listeners are feeling, and that's what I'm trying to just bring it to summary for them, is the deep passion that you have for change. But it's beyond change, it's transformation. Yeah. And and I think that, you know, again, I'm just I'm overwhelmed with just goosebumps at the moment underneath this jacket and shirt, which everybody knows I never wear shirts and I rarely wear a jacket because it's always in the black T-shirt. But um, I guess for me, I have so many questions I want to ask that I have to ask. But was there something in your childhood that shaped who you, you become? Do you, do you know, like, do you know some people have, like, yeah, a tipping point? I, I don't know that there was a tipping point, but I do, I certainly think... Um, you know, I was married at 19. I had four kids under seven. By the time I was 30, I had three degrees, four children, been married 11 years. And I think, oh, um, wow. you know, other people did extreme, you know, uh, bar work during their, their yeah. 20s. I did extreme parenting. Um, other people went and did extreme, you know, active life in terms of climbing Mount Everest or um, wading through rivers. For me, I was doing all of those things. That's absolutely for sure. Um, and I jokingly say, like, for 10 years, I was either pregnant or breastfeeding. And if you really want to know how to do something, um, do those things. If you want to know how to organise a committee, um, run a cake stall. If you really want to know what life's about, change nappies. Um, so while um, a lot of people might have business uh, moments to draw on, I think, you know, there are things when... Uh, well, this is an occasion that I remember quite clearly. My um, it was pouring with rain. It had been pouring for what I thought was months, and I had it, wet nappies everywhere in the house. Um, I had two two toddlers at the time, and I was pregnant with my third child, and I I could not work out how to get them dry. Now that sounds ridiculous, and my husband came home from work, and I I wasn't crying. I was just baffled, like how. I said, how are we going to get all these nappies dry? It was just a moment of curiosity. And he looked at me and he said, you're a really smart woman. You can work that out. And didn't help me. And I was really annoyed oh, yeah. with him. Could have hit him over the head, actually. And well, then, that was brilliant. And then I, because he couldn't have cared less. It was like oh, the okay. world was going to just keep going. I thought going. he just knew. No, 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 no. It was no, like, no, no. you're going to work it out. It was just to get me out of the oh. way, I think. And I thought, oh, I know what I could do. I could hang them in front of a dryer. I could go to the laundromat. I could buy some disposable nappies. Like, there were all these other mm. options. And what I do remember that very clearly thinking, my brain had stopped working. It was like um, I was overwhelmed. And so when I am with women these days and others as well who say, oh, my God, I'm just overwhelmed, in my head I go to the, that wet, wintry day in the hills when nothing, no nappies were getting dry, and I think that's how they're feeling right now. There is so much shit around them, literally. They cannot see the wood from the trees. Well, I mean, Annabelle Crab in Wife Trout, talks so yeah, a lot about the mental load. I mean, I'm, it was funny. Uh, one of my clients actually said to me, she goes, I'm giving you this book as a gift. I said, oh, Lauren, why would you do that? And she's also someone we've interviewed. Um, and uh, I said, she goes, no, no, you don't need to learn this. It's just, I think it will serve you so much better. And it was one of the best things I'd ever read. Yeah, it's fabulous. Because it's I stood back book. and it just so happened too that my mother-in-law was actually good friends with Annabelle Crabbe and I had no idea. Um, and uh, you know, I'd always looked at Annabelle Crabbe as a political writer, never mm. as. You know, and I thought this concept of the mental load is brilliant. I mean, you yeah. just don't f think about it. But for me, and I recommend every male 
should read that book. Yeah, it's I think a, it's essential reading. Yeah, <laughs> it should be on the curriculum. Everyone should read that book. <laughs> but it's just it's it, it is a really good book. Yeah, and I, I and I'm not a big reader until actually um, a well-known Adelaide entrepreneur and I had breakfast late last year, and he said to me, "You really need to learn to read." And he goes, "You need to go and read Jim Quick's book because you know that's uh, Jim Quick's book." is going to change the way you read. And, and brilliantly, I now can read board papers in about a quarter of the time. <laughs> um, and also, I've been reading a book a week. And that's when also, you know, Lauren had given me this book like probably three or four months earlier and just sat on my desk. And I kept looking at this thing going, why, after, why would I read this? And when I read it, I was like, I'm such a better human after reading that. Yeah, it's a fabulous um, resource. And, and I think you, you try, start to look at things differently. And look, I'm blessed. I, I, I was you know, brought up in a house where mum pretty much did everything. My mum didn't work. But, um, you know, in the sense of a traditional job, but, you know, managing two boys and running around after us and all of our sport and everything else. I mean, I wouldn't have become the person I am today. And, you know, I look at Lucy, my partner, and I'm always reflecting on, you know, my life without her. You know, our children are loved. We have a fully functional family, something that both of us didn't kind of come from. And it's because she works so hard at it, not because I work hard at it. I mean, I am so privileged that she does everything so I can go off and do what I do and you know now she's working even full time as running one of our companies and I sit there and I'm like, hey, how are you doing this and it's that and it's about then just contributing she was sick last week and has been sick for a couple of weeks and so the children I thought you know what I can do this and I did you know I did pick up drop offs in between that I rearranged all my client work you know I've got other wonderful women around me that support me and they all picked up the slack where I couldn't deliver but I think, you know, I look at something like that book and I look at some of the things we're talking about and I get so encouraged by hearing that your story, how you were overwhelmed that time in the hills where, you know, nappies weren't drying. And I know exactly the type of nappies you're talking about (laughs) because I was brought up with those flannel type nappies. They make the best polishing cloths. Did you know that? Um, Well, I don't do a lot of polishing. No. I really say that. (laughs) My industry coming from hospitality early on, my mother actually said to me, Christian, you need to get these. I'm like, Mum, are they nappies? She's like, no, 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 trust me, they polish. And I was like, please tell me you weren't polishing glassware. Well, I was, no, no, no. I later on realised that when I had all these nappies, afterwards, you could actually, once you threw them out, you pulled them again, the way the material goes, it polishes really well. And it was brilliant. It actually truly did. Now, there are better microfiber products around these days, but back then it wasn't. More, we just talked about being overwhelmed. And what I'd love to know from someone who has achieved so much and continues to achieve. I don't think you'll ever stop achieving. I think you're one of those people that you, even if even if you accomplish everything and, and are fully fulfilled, you will continue to find another cause that serves whatever it is that you're driven by, right? But when you are overwhelmed, or let's say you become unfocused when there's so much going on, what do you do to realign? To realise, well, I read a lot as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I sit out with my chickens or go to the garden. Uh, I find a lot of solace in nature and walking. And um, and I'm a, I love poetry. Uh, David White is one of my favourite living poets. Um, um, and Maya Angelou, another um, American poet, I absolutely adore as well. And so, and I always think David says things like that. Um, Poetry is words which we have no defence. And so sometimes 
I think in writing, um, when I read things or like you reading board papers and whatever, it, the density is just ridiculous. And one of the things I loved about Twitter when it first started was that you had that uh, beautiful constraint of 140 characters. <laughs> and at that same time, all those years ago when Twitter first came, I did a, um, a little writing course. It was a 30-day challenge to every day to write a different kind of poem, so to learn about all different sorts of poetry. Right. And my writing improved instantly because you have to get to the point very, very quickly and um, I'll often, when I'm working with groups, I'll say to them, you know, if your situation was a three-word slogan, what would it be? And it helps people distill. And, and so when I'm trying to uh, get to a point of moving away from being overwhelmed, I'm looking for that distillation. You know, what's the one drop of perfume that can help me keep going? And, um, and sometimes that's something very small. I will often look for the small thing you know sitting in the garden watching some bees just go round and round and round collecting and just that incredible community of activity together and they're not bumping into each other and they're just taking their little bit of pollen and off they go to the hive and I find that um, that na all of this everything we need to learn is in nature and uh, we in business too the opportunities for biomimicry is are real now uh, and we are actually creating products and services that do uh, mirror what's going on, um, you know, biologically and, and in physics too. You know, the incredible um, innovation uh, using those sorts of principles. So it's very easy to take a lesson from nature. Where, you know, you sit, you walk through. I've always grown up and lived quite close to vineyards, and I love the seasonal nature of that. You know, to see. The grapes grow, start to be harvested, the ferment, you know, fermentation that goes on and then the pruning that happens, yeah. the dead leaves that grow and the compost that forms underneath them. I mean, all the lessons you ever need to learn about our business and self-care are all in that beautiful cycle of nature. Um, and it's not always all about growth at all costs. You know, sometimes one of the limbs has to be chopped off to enable the something that's diseased for the rest of the, the trunk true. to continue. Some of the lessons are underground and you can't see them, you know, mycelium's all under there and you have to actually lift up the lid to shine a torch to see what's actually working and where the, you know, bugs and the fungus are helping or hindering. So I, I'm a big fan of using nature as um, both a self-care for myself but also as an instructional device and sometimes I'll just be out for a walk and I'll come home think oh I know what I need to do now and I think how did I get that where did that come from and it might just be because I was just looking at the waves in the ocean and realizing everything's seasonal you know and the waves will come in and the waves will go out I'll tell you what I'm incredibly impressed about and I hope that our audience has picked that up um, the level of detail that you describe demonstrates to me an impeccable amount of focus and clarity that you have. You know, I've never had anyone answer that question like that. And I think anyone that's listening will know that just by my tone, I am, I'm blown away. Like I haven't got enough space to write. And, but what I want to say to you more, it's, for me, it's just made me realize you, you take yourself completely out 
of the environment you find yourself overwhelmed in. And this is the simplistic nature of your actual concept. But it's in the level of detail that you observe things that, that totally transforms you out of where you are. So you almost go into a transcendental state. You're actually out of that environment. And uh, look, what you've said, I'm distilling in my own head, but it makes so much sense. Truly, if someone is overwhelmed or unfocused, take yourself somewhere and pay really close, take yourself somewhere completely away from what you're doing. You know, and we're blessed here in Adelaide. I mean, if you're, there's so many places, like, you know, you're right. You know, if you're in McLaren Vale or Dinga or Barossa or any of those places, they're not stone throws away and you can sit and watch, you know, vineyards. But it's, you're, when you mentioned the bees, I mean, I was just like, okay, and the way they move, I was like, wow. And that level of detail um, is what allows your brain to also reset in that moment because you've completely forgotten the reason why you're overwhelmed and you've gone to somewhere that, you know, satisfies you, like the, your, your use of an understanding of poetry. Um, you know, as a scholar at school, I completely sucked at poetry, right? And, you know, the irony of it is I didn't suck at it. I just never understood it. Mm-hmm. It's just I don't get jokes. People say jokes to me and I just look at them and I'm like, they're meant to be funny. It's just the way my brain is white. But I have read more poetry over the last couple of years and I go, huh. I think I understand that. And I think you've got to be, poetry is one of those things you've got to be really immersed in it to understand it. But that's only my 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 perspective on it and I'm, and I'm not anyone who spends enough time in it. But I know that if I go away and read something that is different to what I'm doing, that also helps me. But what I really am blown away, I actually wrote genius. I actually wrote the word genius. You know, the level of detail of thought. And you know, Jim Collins talks about you know, disciplined thought uh, by disciplined people uh, and then who take disciplined action. Um, and what I really am blown away by is the level of discipline that you demonstrate in just that task. And I think it's a level of discipline you display throughout all your work, uh, which is which is admirable, but also admirable. Like, I, I, I'm, I, as I said, I'm, I'm really taken by that. Um, is anything you want to add to that? Well, I've just... Yeah, I was just going to say that I think that... Um... I really encourage people to take instruction from nature um, and mm. the weather. <laughs> uh, so the Celt in me, you know, I think I was probably born, if the, if people believe in incarnation, and you know, reincarnation, possibly in a previous life, I might have been on the barren in Western Ireland and trudging along there. And, um, and you do get so many, um, you know, for me it's a conversation with the elements. So, uh, and I sing in a choir too, so there's this call response, I think, is a very fundamental um, vocational understanding. And vocation, you know, means voice and to listen to that voice. So um, if you are in business or whatever you're doing, you know, whether you're home with kids or whatever, um, what's the call that you're hearing from the what's around you? What are people saying to you? I always think, you know, if I hear something once, that's interesting. I hear something twice. Well, that's um, that's got something to offer me. But if I hear it the third time, I feel like, okay, all the angels and saints and every single goblin is out there trying to give me a piece Clue. of news <laughs> and I better pay attention to it. And, um, and again, that's definitely the curl in me coming out. And so, but if I'm not listening, then I'm not going to get those cues. And, and they will come in all sorts of forms and 
Um, they'll come from a little voice. They'll come from seeing, you know, a sign on a road, whatever it is. So I think that's something about um, being attentive um, and being quiet enough inside yourself. One of the challenges, I think, is that we have a lot of thoughts going on and, you know, we get captivated by our own thoughts and we often have to get ourselves out of the way to do the next thing, whatever that is. And so paying attention is, is really important. I'm, you know, I have had a meditative practice over the years, like most of my life, but it's not these days how that shows up for me is more as a, a way to live than, okay, I'm going to sit aside and do my prayers or sit aside and do my meditation or whatever it is. It's more like trying to have that more and more integrated into my life. So I appreciate you saying that about being disciplined because I do think um, there's a difference between going to a practice, like you go to your yoga class once a week, or go to the gym every day or whatever it is, as opposed to being the practice. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things that, that's when something becomes transformational. Uh, I'm not saying that I'm at that point, but it's definitely that there is a deep desire in me to be more integrated in that way. Um, and that's going back to the poetry. That's why that's, that poetry has been so important to me as a lever to see the world in different eyes and, um, yeah, and just be amongst it. i got to say, listening is not one of my greatest skills and I have worked very, very hard um, at becoming a better listener. I'm a, I'm a very fast listener uh, because I solve problems very, very quickly for people. But it's when you say listening, it's a much deeper mm. thought. It's it's going right below a few more layers, and it's why I love interviewing because I actually have force to listen. Yeah. I cannot be distracted, and it's it's almost like when you said that it was a message to me. And I know it's probably a few listeners out there sitting there going, "Right, that's my message. Right, it's our message." And I think that's what's really beautiful about just the way you've explained that. You know, it's. You've got to be quiet enough in yourself so that you can get yourself out of the way as well. And I think that they, I mean, I'm, I'm going to steal a lot of these lines, just letting you know. Oh, I, yes. I will credit you for them, but, <laughs> they are, but they are amazing, right? Like I'm sitting here and I'm thinking to myself, this is a masterclass on how you should live your life to live almost, it's, it's a self-awareness, but it's much deeper than that. And I think so many leaders are really good at what they do, but then they don't have enough time to reflect. Mm. And I know I'm one of those people who, I spend a lot of time reflecting, but nowhere near enough. You know, like I meditate, and I actually went out last year and hired a meditation guru that at every five o'clock in, o'clock in the morning, Bronwyn and I would literally meditate to the point, because I couldn't do longer than a minute. I got to 30 minutes and <laughs> my life was transformed. And. <laughs> You know, and, and actually Bronwyn messaged me the other day and she said, I miss our sessions. I'm like, can we do them again? Because you told me to go solo. And I want to, and the thing is, I need someone there all the time, one of those people. Mm-hmm. And I acknowledge that, you know, it's, it's why um, you know, clients would say to me, do you have someone that advises you? I said, yes, I do. I actually have two people that I pay that advise me over and above all the advice that I hand out because I can't go solo. It's not me. Like I'm a, I'm a person that has to be around people enough but I have to have my own quiet time. You know, like the last two weeks, I've been so mentally exhausted. We had father-son camp 
last, not this weekend, the past weekend before, and it was amazing. It was wonderful seeing all these boys just having the time of their life, and you know, and getting to know all these other amazing fathers, and you know, it was it was great. But I didn't have any time off. Then we had to go to a party on the Sunday and do a whole bunch of other things for the children, and then I worked another crazy week, and I realised I got to this weekend, and I was pretty much burnt out. And I don't get burnt out. Mm. And what I then reflected on, and this was yesterday, I left my mother-in-law's house because we were there um, with the other side of the family mm. and the children wanted to come home. So I said, okay, why don't we go, Mum, Lucy, you stay. And I just went, you know what, after I put these, showered these kids, got them to bed, my daughter yesterday was the stinkiest pirate I've ever had in my life. <laughs> and I said to her, Lavender, you're getting in the shower now. We're gonna wash your hair and we're gonna, she goes, okay. And I was like, wow, you listened. And this is why Leo is getting his pyjamas on. And, you know, it was really beautiful getting them ready. But I then said to myself, you know what? I'm not going to do anything else tonight. I'm going to go to bed. Mm. And I'm happy to admit that I was in bed by 8 o'clock last night, which is unheard of and asleep, according to my sleep, I track my sleep, <laughs> according to my sleep um, appliances and devices, I was asleep by 8.59 and I did not wake up until 5 o'clock which is my normal wake-up time. Gorgeous, wonderful. And I felt this morning, I had my first client call, and I was like, wow. But I sat there this morning and I meditated mm. in bed, mm. right? because I had Leonardo who snuck his way into bed at about 2 o'clock, which is rare for him. And then I had Lucy on the other side, and I couldn't find Lavender, because normally Lavender's the one that slides in as our baby. Um, but I thought, you know what? I'm going to meditate and focus on me for the day. And I am a true believer that when you are truly aligned, the universe provides you yeah. everything you need. And I think that's what I'm really picking up from yeah, you, Maura. that's and, true. You know, and I wanted to share my side so people could understand. And this is what I try and do. I try and share a lot of... Because all I can do is share my experience, just like you can mm -hmm. share your own. And and I think that that's what's hitting. It's almost like whatever I was crying out for this morning, you are serving me today. And it is... That's why I think I'm so overwhelmed with warmth. Um, I know that's very hard for anyone listening to pick that up, but... I think anyone that watches the, the, the visual experience may see that. Um, Maura, we, we, are, we are deep into this podcast, and what I'm really interested to understand is we talk about nature, we talk about habits. Mm -hmm. you know, what new habits or what habit have you developed that has dramatically improved your life? Yeah. So going back to the poetry, that's mm -hmm. um, writing, um, small things, not... Um, and I'm in my ninth year of writing a weekly blog, and I give myself rules around that. By the way, everyone, <laughs> you should read the blog. Yes, it is the most beautiful writing, right? I've even cut out some abstracts that, <laughs> from the good. last one because I was so... They, and I'm going to read them out late, later, <laughs> but people, if, if you have to, you have to find Moira's blog. Uh, if you go on her LinkedIn profile... Or just moira.blog. Oh, is, 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 that's, that's right, it. is it? That's well, normally it. I just go straight to your LinkedIn profile and then click on the on one of the yeah. featured posts and I go through there and read it. But it is the writing. Your writing style is beautiful. Well, I'll for, let you talk more yeah, about it. Yeah, so, I mean, in terms of the discipline, certainly writing the weekly blog and the, my rules to myself were I can't write for more than an hour. It really shouldn't be more than about 750 to 1,000 words max. Um and I try not to edit. So it's like oh, wow. um, just write. And um, 
just doing and then maybe a couple of days later I'll go back and fix up a few typos and grammars and things but I really try not to um, edit and just take a thing and each year it's had a different theme and, yes, I was going to ask you. So, yeah, That's the question. So this year's theme is meeting the moment. So mm-hmm. what, how you show up for a particular something that's happened during the week. And I always try and relate it to something that I'm doing. So that discipline's been important. Um, and just to um, you know dispel any myths, I haven't always been as disciplined as this. And when you've got a household and lots of people around you and big jobs and all of those things that I've had. Um, my husband died uh, nearly four years ago. And as a consequence of that, uh, and all the kids had left home by then, of course. And I had been looking after him for nearly 10 years. He was, had a lung disorder. And um, so I've had lots of um, opportunities to work out what's going to work for me. And I've always had to grab really small amounts of time. Um, and whether that is um, just, you know, in the early days, that was me just washing the dishes at the sink. Like I refused to get a dishwasher when everyone was getting dishwashers because it was the only time when the kids were little time that I could have on my own. Nobody wants to help you with the dishes. <laughs> uh, so that's also a good thing. And um, just so just trying to do that, um, music's always been a really big part of my life and I'm just getting back into that. Um, now I'm looking forward to our choirs hasn't rehearsed all year, so we're missing missing choir for COVID, uh, but getting, um, finding ways to find your voice, I think has been a really central um, discipline for me. And I, when I, I mean, I write now for myself, and part of the reason I started to do that was because for years I have been writing for everyone else. So I'd written thousands of reports, you know, literally millions of words for other people. You, I can look at documents all around this town and there's bits of I've written in them, and I, there's She's no been credit a long to time me. Policy, yeah, yeah. policy work, evaluations, research, uh, speeches for premiers and ministers, and, and you know, you, uh, let, uh, parliamentary answers in parliament, and and you look at all of those things, and you know, I'm not there. Like, there's no, there's no, my name's not on anything, and uh, so that's why I started writing the blog originally to see. I was curious. Could I write in my own voice? And particularly when you're writing speeches or writing answers or writing a report for someone, I used to try and write with their voice in mind. Like I'd be thinking, would that person, would she really say that? Would he really say that? Okay, what would he say? And I remember writing an answer for a question in Parliament that was coming up. Um, and uh, so, because you know, sometimes those questions are you know available in advance, shall we say? We know what questions are going to be asked. And um, I'd written it uh, from my minister's point of view, but it went into the pool for the Premier to look at. And he said, oh, no, I'll have that question, uh, which was a great... Uh, I was very touched. Uh, it was a very lovely affirmation. But I had written it with him in mind because I thought, I want to get one of my answers up to Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and so when he delivered it, it was, he did not change a word. And this ex-premier that most people will know um, was a journalist himself so I knew that his listening to his voice was really important so when I started writing for myself I was curious like could I have did I have a voice of my own Um, and that's so I sort of snuck into blog writing through writing poetry because poetry can you can be a lot more anonymous in a way 
Um, and the poetry community here in South Australia is a very unique group of people. Is it, is it small? <laughs> it's very large. You'd be oh, amazed really? how many people are out there. And I haven't done any public poetry for about four years, actually, pretty much since my husband died. Not because of that, but just it's just a time thing um, in my life. But I did win a poetry sla- summer slam a few years back. Summer slam. Yeah, which was all about... Um, uh, you know, smashing the patriarchy, you'll be surprised. But, you know, when they saw... So it's like a hackathon yeah, for poetry. for poetry, right. slam. Um, highly recommend. Uh, anyone who wants a little bit of discipline in listening to stories, listen to The Moth. That's a great podcast. The Moth. The Moth's been going for years and years and years. started in New York. but um, And it has hundreds and hundreds of stories of ordinary people telling their ordinary stories. And that was a very lovely lever for me to and learn how to to listen more deeply to how I was seeing the world and to find my voice. And, uh, yeah, so I think for anyone, work out what it is that you want to say, not who, you know, I think it was Oscar Wilde that said, try not to, um, you know, be yourself because everyone else is taken. And often when we're in business um, or we want to impress people, we try and act as if, you know, we're someone else. Just mm. be yourself. That's the best thing you can be. Yeah, I get myself in trouble for being myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I highly recommend it. And I think a lot of people jump through some kind of imaginary hoop yeah. to be what some they want other people to see. I think we people are really worried about never being enough. Yeah. And and I think you've you got to overcome that fear. I always yeah. say that to yeah. uh, clients and I always say it to prospects. And, and just in general, I do a lot of work with young people. And I always say to them, I say, you are plenty you're here, you're alive, you're a one in 400 million chance of actually ever being born. I mean, you know, just be the best version of yourself. You exactly. know, if, 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 you know, and I've, I've failed plenty in my life and um, catastrophically. And I always say to people, yeah, there were people who will judge me for the rest of their life, but guess what? They're the ones losing because the people that don't judge me and go on this journey with me, their life is being enriched because they're enriching my life yeah. by being there with me. And I think it's, and this is the point, I love your point about building communities. You know, I, I um, a few years back, something, something I did caused me a great deal of pain and I had to learn from the whole experience. And I think that's, you know, that's why I've gone to script with pretty much everything that I do today. And, you know, I've become a writer, you know, I, I'm dyslexic and I have ADHD and I, can never get that level of discipline of not proofing my work. I have a copywriter and I also have an editor. You know, obviously I'm writing for Entrepreneur Media. Um, I have a huge following now. My editor was like, Christian, you're at 22 million people that read your articles when they come out. Like we've never seen anything like it. And you definitely have your own voice, just as I've developed my own. But we've got to overcome that fear first. I mean, for me, you know, it was something I said that landed me in hot water and you know how did I beat that I went out and wrote I went out and started blogging I went out and started doing videos and you know I remember 200 years ago I had you know, 700 connections on LinkedIn I'm now at like 16,000 um, and I write for two or three of the largest publications in the world because I knew that if I didn't overcome this fear that had hit me mm. I wouldn't be here today. I would definitely wouldn't be doing this interview with you. And, you know, when I went out and did a solo cast, that was the first thing that I did. And, you know, people, my mentors were like, Christian, what are you doing? This is like suicide. They're going to be looking to hang you for every word that comes out of your mouth. 
And I'm just like, that's okay. They can, they can have a go at my spelling mistakes. I'm fine with that. I said, but they got to live with the fact that I'm dyslexic and that I have ADHD and that every other child out there that has dyslexia and ADHD, when they condemn me for something, they're condemning all them. Yeah. And everyone looked at me and they said, well, what cause are you on? And I said, I'm, in, I'm, I'm not actually trying to solve any cause. I'm trying to make it, I don't want to be a hypocrite. And I don't want to be sitting there helping younger people overcome their fears when I can't overcome my own. Mm. And little did I know where it would lead me today. And you know, my life is greatly enriched by just having this conversation with you because I, you endured the same struggles. You're just way more composed about it. Like, I, you know, listening to, uh, and again, I'm overwhelmed with with energy at the moment because I'm listening to this and I'm saying. You know, wisdom is is so 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 clear when it's right in front of you, mm. but you got to be prepared to listen. So I know I'm being extremely complimentary, but <laughs> I, I want to actually take something that you wrote that, and I do read your poem, um, and it blows me away. At I, I didn't know that you had these rules around <laughs> one hour and seven. And now I'm thinking to myself, how on earth does she do this? I have a, I write for about an hour as well. I can't write more than that but I have to revisit my publications at least six or seven times, not because I'm changing, it's because the first time they're so bad, right? Um, but one thing you, you had in, your, in, in the most recent, mm-hmm. you had what I would define as a profound reflection of the event um, that you held at the Adelaide Jail, mm-hmm. um, at the old Adelaide Jail. And you said, if you have something to share, knead it into something positive that will help stretch the conversation and build more curiosity. Find questions that might unlock or unleash something hidden. Impact change is not about conforming. But then further down, and I particularly love this point, uh, but and the, what you said, but what came next struck a note with me and, and I hope it does with everybody listening. If you notice the potential of a conversation or moment becoming unsafe, find a way to build more trust We are in an emergent space and making more space for learning and problem solving and testing waters is what impact change is all about. Um, Do you want to share anything about that? I wasn't at the event. Yeah. And and if you read the whole blog, it'll it'll make more sense. But can you share something? I I just thought that really struck a note with me and I really wanted to expand on that. And I know it's not in any of the questions. No, that's fine. I'm really happy to answer that. So the event was uh, called Impact Chains, as you rightly said, and um, myself, Sarah Gunn and Amy Orange form a group we call CoLab for Good. And so we wanted to create an environment where people could learn together. But And so we offered activations. So the rule we had rules around that too. No sp- keynote speakers, no panels. People had to learn by doing. And so each activation was a... Um, well, had some physical embodiment activity, whether it was uh, we did a, a what we call Amy organised a privilege walk to understand the different impacts and privileges that we have of being inside or outside of the incarceration system and people with lived experience sharing some of their stories and all of that, which was incredibly powerful. We had the um, students and community of uh, Youth Inc., helping build us um, issues on how to unfuck the world. And that was exciting too. We had a community and capital session I ran using blocks and a card game to work out what your capital stack needed to be according to what time um, business you're in. We had um, people from um, the conservation movement and nature play. 
giving us, you know, actually showing us what to do with soil and the lessons that soil can do in terms of ecosystems and what, how does that then bring it back. So it was a very, um, very diverse. Everyone had an activation from a different system, but we all, everything is connected. So this is a, a fundamental truth. And so we often find, um, I certainly find in my work, generally speaking, people want to just make a, a small change, you know, at the edges of something. But if you really want to make a serious change, you have to look at the system and the ecosystem in which that um, actually functions, what those problems or issues are. So the, the leaning in into being more curious, um, which that quotes about, and needing, um, you know, like the bread being the yeast. So we see though... Those activations, if you like, as yeast. And then how do we all work together to stretch it out and pull it apart and help it grow? Um, and quite often, in, particularly in entrepreneurial um, circumstances, an idea is the yeast. But you still need to set it aside. You need to prove the bread. You need to put it in the oven. You also need someone to, you know, buy it and sell it and eat it and enjoy it and tell another person how wonderful it tastes as well. So... Um, that, you know, there's a whole lot of pieces in that puzzle. And so when we were at Impact Chains, we deliberately, everything we did was very intentional. We deliberately chose the old Adelaide Jail because what could be a better example of a paradigm that needs to go uh, or a system that has completely failed all of us. Um, so being putting ourselves physically in a space like that, um, I, you know, when we were preparing it, we had a thing, a list of things we didn't want it to look like. Uh, we didn't want it to look like the convention centre. We didn't want people to have an experience of going, oh, my wow, oh, wow, that person was amazing. We just want to follow them. We wanted people to have an experience of the idea, the system, uh, the interconnectedness of things, the relationships that are a consequence of being together. So I just did the evaluation um, data last night and um, over half of the people who were there met someone they didn't already know who they are now going to do a collaboration with. So one of my favourites on the list is um, the fellow who uh, runs the Playgroup Association. So he's involved with all the playgroups all around our state. He talked to the woman who runs the Nature Festival and now they want to do a collaboration on how playgroups can be involved in next year's Nature Festival. And that collaboration, I think, will be extraordinary uh, for a whole generation of kids and uh, places that you know they can make their own little nature activities um, that wouldn't have happened without us. So we Amazing. see ourselves as being catalytic in that regard. And, um, and Colab for Good is very much, you know, we see ourselves as an intermediary. Um, in the impact enterprise space. So what we're interested in is how impact happens and that it's everything's collaborative. Um, I, none of us want to do anything on our own. We want to make sure that the interconnections between systems um, accelerate the change that needs to happen. And so often in an entrepreneurial sense, we talk about you know, amplification and acceleration and a growth mindset and all of those things. That if that's only happening for you as a founder or your shareholders or people who have equity in the business, it won't actually be enough. It, these days, that's not going to actually be enough. Yeah, um, and people think about the brand. And when I um, you know, look at 
people like Seth Godin, for example. You know, it's about being memorable. That's one of the things he says. You did one of Yeah, I did an MBA with me, yeah. yeah, which was a 30-day sprint. Um, you got I, an award too for that. Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. So that's You're, a peer award, yeah. which is lovely. No, it's amazing. I mean, look, more I, 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 so I've just had this crazy idea. <laughs> and so I, I think, you know, I'm the chairman of Innovation in the City. Um, which is part of Launch Adelaide Inc. Mm. And um, I now know an event we're going to run next year. Oh, cool. So I think we might run an event called Impact Enterprise because I think the audience would love and maybe we can get yourself, Amy and Sarah on a panel and give you the whole floor. We might not do a panel, but we'd be happy to be there. (laughs) Yeah. I just just think if, if we can get you guys to... There's, there's so much education required in the space. Absolutely. And we've got a room full of entrepreneurs and innovators and capitalists and um, <laughs> venture capitalists as well. Um, and we had David Pizzone, the Honourable David, yeah. your, you know, presiding minister for the Chief Entrepreneur's Office. Um, David was with us on Wednesday night mm-hmm. and, um, and he was amazing. He was actually, his first ever public speaking engagement when he got in was actually at Innovation the City. Right. So we actually thought, well, let's bring him back. And he, you know, in the same way that he's grown, I mean, phenomenal Germany. I mean, you know, I remember when David the first time was talking about innovation and entrepreneurship and he just couldn't, he, he didn't understand the term bootstrapping and all of these. And this time, he blew us away as an audience, and particularly me. I actually went up to him afterwards and I said, David, wow. And he said, what? <laughs> Leaps and bounds. Like, you know, the amount of growing you've had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that they've done an extraordinary job in, in, in trying to get people to help themselves as opposed to just having constant handouts, constant grants. It's like, okay, well, let's do things together. And I think that there's a lot of influence and a lot of people that are around uh, that have been able to provide that support. And, and I think that that's, that's wonderful. Um, but this area of impact, impact enterprise, I don't think enough people know about it. And I think that, it, again, this is how can we collaborate post a podcast and say, well, hang on a second, Maura, I think I've got a platform for you <laughs> where we can go to another 100 people and influence another 100 who I know will then go, how can I get these women involved in my life, in my work, and how can we then make our organisations better? And I think this is what, you know, I talk a lot about the man on the mound. You mm-hmm. know, everyone's seen the, the, the clip and it's a, it's a rave festival and there's one guy and everyone always says, He's the leader. And it's like, no, he, he's just the guy that started. It's number two, three, and four that created the movement. And, and I think what's wonderful is that you know, you're clearly someone that has laying the foundations, but you don't want the glory that comes with it. Your glory is actually watching others yeah, transform, right? And yeah. I can see that. And so I'm just tabling that. I've made a note on my Yeah, notes. no, we'll be up for that. Because I, mean, I think it would be, spect- yeah. be actually a brilliant event. Like, yeah, we, we would definitely be up for that. And mm. We really want to help stimulate um, everyone being impact. Everyone could be an impact enterprise. Mm. Um, whether they, you know, depending on what it is in their business, it can be something as small as trying to get to carbon zero. Yeah, uh, as a business to something you know quite transformational, you know how they can be a bit like super fierce doing it at three levels and 
you know, uh, permaculture always says you should, if you do one thing, you should try and do three at the same time. So uh, <laughs> I um, I take a lot of lessons from Bill Mollison. Yeah, I, I, I can see how you'd like to do more than three things at the same time. Uh, We'd yeah. love to, sure. Yeah. I'd like to, if you know, it's a bit like the... Um, bullseye for me if you can hit the bullseye you know you're going to get a lot of impact as a result yeah. of that and i think too many of us are tinkering away at the edges and not actually looking okay what's the one thing we could do today and one of the best things i learned in the all mba seth godin's all mba uh from my one of my coaches in that program was oh, you've only got 10 minutes what are you going to do in the next 10 minutes to advance your idea and if people are stuck, you know, if I'm talking to entrepreneurs or female founders, um, you know, or anyone really, and they say to me, oh, I don't know what to do, I'll go, okay, that's fine. You've got 10 minutes. What are you going to do in the very next 10 minutes? And you've only got 10 minutes. Put the timer on and um, off you go. And using time as a constraint, uh, one of my very favourite business books is um, Beautiful Constraints. Okay. highly recommend anyone who's... Um, you know, you get, oh, we haven't got enough money or we haven't raised enough capital or Who haven't got the that? right stuff. Oh, I need to check that up. But it's called Beautiful Constraints. Beautiful Constraints. It's a- absolutely, I think, high, okay. essential reading. I'm going to have to grab that. Because I was going to ask you, which is a book? Oh, yeah, that's one Constraints. of my favourites. But is there any other books that have greatly influenced your journey? Yeah, well, to share? I'm, I'm, literally I'm reading all the time and I'm a big fan of Audible too because I live quite a way out of the city. So if I'm coming into town, I, I don't mind because I think, okay, that's when I'm going to listen to this podcast or that's when I'm going to listen to this book. Um, I think Brene Brown's work yeah. is always outstanding and really helpful and her podcast, uh, Learn to Lead, I recommend for people. Um, I've just finished reading a beautiful novel by... Uh, um, Ank, I think it is. I'll have to send you the the notes. The and it's called um, uh, the Tale of Missing Trees, I think. Okay. And uh, inside all of that, it has everything. It has love and fear and war and injustice and racism and language and climate change and nature. It's an absolutely fabulous, fabulous novel. And. I do think that people don't often go to the novel as often as they could, including myself. I've really tried to read more novels over the last few years, um, and that's just one that I've literally just finished in the last couple of days. In the pouring rain yesterday, snuggled up in bed listening to it a bit more, <laughs> had a nice cup of tea. Um, I also simple uh, pleasures, yeah, simple pleasures, I, and I really do. I do go to my poetry books, um, uh, Mary Oliver in particular. Um, if I am feeling particularly stuck or frustrated, um, she's got a beautiful uh, summer day. is a fabulous poem to read um, from the point of view of a little grasshopper. Uh, that will make you um, get right in touch with your purpose instantly. I always give that to people who say, that, oh, what's my why? Read that and come back to me tomorrow. So summer's day. Summer day, yeah, summer, summer day. day. Um, Who's that by? Mary Oliver and her other two others of hers, Wild Geese and um, When I Am Among the Trees. Will um, they are both instructional and healing and um, all the lessons you need to in just a few stanzas. It's very beautiful. I love it. I'm, I'm going to check that because obviously you my strap line is live with purpose. So every yeah. time I hear anyone that says, "Hey, Christian, that, I'm going to read some day." By Mary Oliver. I'm yeah. going to find it as soon as we finish. Um, which I'm conscious of time. I've, I've just yes. looked at my watch. But do you have any heroes? Like whether it be a business hero or a 
or a personal hero, someone that you, you know, and by hero, I don't mean someone that, you go, oh, wow, you know, you're like a fan club. It's more someone that you think, you know, is, is, is a rude role model for, for, for yourself or for others. So there's a few, uh, and a few heroines as well. Okay. Um, in the heroine category, I think Vicky Saunders, who's the founder of Shio, she inspires me uh, and continues to challenge and encourage me as well, personally and professionally. Um, I kind of, when I grew up, you know, as a kid, I was always, um, was a young person really. I loved and found out about Vincent Lingiari, who ran the... Um, they're walking off the land, um, who was an incredible uh, land rights activist for his people. And um, that iconic photo of uh, Gough Whitlam with the grains of sand running through his fingers into Vincent's. Um, and people will know um, Paul Kelly's song from Big Things, Little Things Grow mm -hmm. There. So that's that story. Um, and, um, you know, Martin Luther King, uh, and in always inspired me and I read all of his speeches and things like that. James Baldwin, another black American. Um, and closer to home, um, you know, just in these these days, uh, um, the work that Megan Davis and Thomas Mayer have done on the Uluru Statement from the Heart um, and, you know, the young voices of Malala and Greta Thunberg and the old voice of um, David Attenborough those um one of the things that is about all of them is they're unelected they are the unelected um so people say oh you should go back into politics oh, I go, no what really if we want to build movements that will shift mm. the world um those unelected leaders other and that's really what impact change was also about you know being how do we elect and select each other and put, put each other forward and say, um, you know, you're the one that we want to learn from. And I, you know, I think to myself, most of my leadership opportunities, and I've been very fortunate, it's not because I've stepped up or thought, oh, pick me or pick me. It's usually I've stood there and everyone's taken a step back and I've looked behind me and think, oh, my God, I'm the only one that's still at the front. <laughs> what happened there? Um, so it's not been like... Uh, an absolute driver for me to be in leadership. It's been kind of by how others, so that being the lone nut on the hill and then the first followers and uh, and that's pretty much how I've always worked. It's not that I've said, oh, come and follow me. I've just been doing my little dance on the hill and so all of a sudden a few more people come along, you know. You know, it's really powerful sitting here with you um, as someone who's a fan um, from the shadows and I can see that now like exactly why someone would follow you um, and and why you're a you're a movement creator because I think it goes much deeper than the fact that you're incredibly intelligent and well read I think it actually goes down to all your disciplines and the fact that you mm. you you stand for something that is far greater than the average person and even the people that are above average um, the other top achievers and I think anyone that's in this series is going to be really really proud to you're in that series I certainly am proud um, and and, I, and that, that's something that I'm really picking up you know we've had a variety of people on, on the podcast and everyone's different in their own right but it's 
one thing that is very, very common, one thing that actually is the common thing, um, is that everyone has real deep passion for something that is far greater than themselves. And that's really coming through. Um, more, businesses, business and life is not all flowers and rainbows. Has there been a particular failure experience in your life? And failure not as a bad thing. Failure is a moment that something didn't go the way you planned and um, or something in life didn't go the way you planned. But that set you up later for success. Is there something in your life? It could be something a long time ago, even more recently for that mm. matter. Because I think we all go through these moments yeah. at a time. I've certainly had plenty to draw on. <laughs> is, there, is there one in particular that you uh, think... Yeah. set you up for success later but also helped you build grit and resilience in the process yeah grit and grace i think are the two things that you learn when you're in those um situ- if you learn them in a way that will um serve you into the future and um you know certainly uh, my husband dying which was not a great thing to do and we thought it was going to be a sprint um when he was first diagnosed and it turned into a marathon actually turned into an ultra marathon it was nearly 10 years um, and then after he died, there was a whole lot of things that happened that I had no knowledge of, which were very um, traumatic. There's no other way to say it. Um, but that meant that when um, I then, about a year later, I then walked to the Camino. I worked about 220 k's on the Camino Santiago de Compostela. Wow. And I'm on this, on this mountain, <laughs> literally, and it had been raining two days earlier and it was... Uh, so it was still pretty yeah, slippery. And everyone's a million times fitter than me and healthier than me. And I'm climbing up. I'm on my own because they've all, my group that I was with were all ahead of me. And I think, and I'm I'm not quite crying, but I'm almost there and I'm aching and I'm pushing myself up this mountain. And I'm thinking, I can do this. I have been through hell. And... This is just an externalisation of that. And so I'm just going to get to the top of the mountain. So I got to the top of the mountain and then going down was worse because <laughs> it was so steep. steep yeah. And I'm thinking, this is worse. Coming out of it is worse than going up. And I get to the end of it all and uh, that night uh, we had this beautiful feast and there was dancing and singing and everything. And I'm lying in bed and I'm exhausted. I'm aching all over. And I'm saying to myself... Okay, that's probably the hardest physical thing I have ever done or ever will do in my life. And so if I can do that, I can probably do anything. And I'm certainly in politics. I had a lot of stuff thrown at me. I've had historically, um, I was very involved in the anti-apartheid movement and with the churches in the 80s and 90s. We had our house bricks through the window. My phone was tapped for three years. I was I was abused and publicly slandered. Um, I had, there was a human rights commission evidence I had. I've had a lot of difficult times, but that mountain and that night, that was like, okay, um, right. There was a reckoning that happened, I think. And so every time I'm in a difficult situation now, I think, <laughs> it's nothing. I've climbed a mountain. Better still, I've got to the bottom of the bottom of it. And so I know that I can do that hard stuff. And I think that um, the hard emotional labour that we all do, that we talked about earlier, um, I don't think anyone um, 
um, really understands unless you've had a lived experience of what that is, whatever that is for people, um, whether they've, you know, been incarcerated, whether they have had a, um, you know, bankruptcy or whether they've had, you know, trauma, physical trauma, sexual abuse. Um, we all, everyone has some experience to draw on. Um, some of us are very fortunate that they haven't been um, life-threatening. Um, but, you know, once you've done that, if you can remember, and I think this is the thing that happens, often in a tough moment we get amnesia, we kind of stop and get nervous in our tracks and we, we, we think we can't do it. Um, in fact, I had a text message from a really dear friend last night who's about to take on a, a very large job here in Adelaide. So she's moving her family, she's um, changing her employer, it's huge what she's going to be doing. She'll be making a great mark on this city and I'm excited that she's coming. Um, and she was having doubts about, oh, can I really do this? And I'm going, yeah, you write down a list of all the things you know you do. Go for a walk, come back and look at the list, you'll be fine. Um, and yeah, it's just, I think if you've done something hard, in the moment you're being faced with something new that's hard, try and, try and remember uh, that you've done it before and something much harder. I, I, I really love the way you put that together the one thing that's really stood out is I, I felt your pain as you were going up there. And you I think for anyone listening, I think it was much deeper than there's a metaphor there. I think that yeah, for anyone who really wants to explore that, it wasn't the fact that you were in pain and you, your mental load was crazy and you had all this other stuff going on. It wasn't that the terrain was was the conditions were, were bad. You were alone. Mm. Everyone had left you and they were ahead of you. There was no one there to hold your hand. You could have given up. Mm. You could have decided that that's it. I'm just going to stay here and I'm going to... I thought about it. Yeah. Oh, I, bet, I bet you did. I think we all do, right? And I think that's the metaphor. That's the point. But what really... The real lesson in what you said, Maura, wasn't how you managed to dust yourself off and say, no, you know what? I can do this. People think that's the tipping point. It's the coming down because the point you made, you know, shit, I got up the top of this thing and I thought I was done and then coming down was even harder because coming down is a set of new lessons you've got to learn because if you don't learn, that's where you learn the grit and the grace is when you're rebuilding from that. Now, in your case, the rebuilding is coming down because that's only half getting to the top. You know, you have to actually go, okay, well, now I've overcome this mountain. Why did I climb this thing in the first place? Mm -hmm. And that, that sometimes, you, you know, we make mistakes. I've made mistakes and, you know, I've been punished for mistakes I haven't even made. But it's the ones that you make, you know, that you go, what do I do? You know, I, I go back to three years ago when Lucy and I looked at each other and said, let's just leave. Why, 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 do you, why are you still here? Why are you bothering with Adelaide? And I had a lot of people come up to me and say, why are you bothering? Well, you know, I said, nah, this is something I did. i got to own this. Mm -hmm. right? And we did. We sold everything and pretty much retired. And went, that's it. And we're ready to go. We got offered a job in New York. And, you know, as an entrepreneur resident there for a very large-scale incubator that would have turned out to be incredibly profitable for me. But no. Cause, and that was the, the peak of that mountain. And it was like, well, how do you recover from the public shame? And in the end, when you look at it and you go, well, actually, it wasn't, it wasn't actually anything that bad. 
but you yourself, it's, you struggle with it because when you're someone who has a lot of integrity, it makes it really hard when you get publicly shamed or, or hacked or whatever it might be. For everyone, it's different. You know, For me, it, things that hurt me are much bigger because I've been through so much. The same with you. But we never need, you can't lose sight of the people who have experienced very little trauma in their life and then the smallest little thing sets them off. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going through the same pain that we go through on a bigger scale because we're more conditioned for it. And I think that's where resilience, grit, grace, as you put it, is really important. But I think the lesson for me, and I think for anyone listening, is go a bit deeper in what you were saying. It's when you're coming down that you've got to work even harder, right? You know, in this case, it was coming down. It was, it was about relearning how to, you know, to do things. I mean, your knees would have been killing you on the way down. I love because, sticks, walking sticks. Oh, you would have had... <laughs> I would have, by that point, found someone to pay to carry me down. I would have needed about six people, but and not in rotation, like all six carrying me down the mound. But look, I think, I think wonderful story there. I mean, very impactful. And the whole podcast today has been inspirational is the only way that I can say, I'm not going to let you go just yet. What I think with all the wonderful insights that you've provided, do you have your top three lessons that... Um, you would impose or, or that you would want someone else, someone particularly someone ambitious and hungry, be it male, female, uh, no matter, or binary, it does not matter. What are three lessons that you would want to impart on other people? Yeah, I think back yourself is mm-hmm. really important, you know, and I mean that in every way, you know, feel someone that someone at your back is your best self, wanting the best for you. Um, so I think that's really important. And the other thing is is just being optimistic, like keeping the glass half full. Um, I want um, a lot of people talk about risk, and I talk more about assets. So, uh, what are, what's working well, and you want to strengthen that. Mm-hmm. You can find someone else to do the Very things that you can't do. Yep. Um, you know, at, having a really strong asset based approach um, is really important. I mean, in the olden days, you know, we used to get everyone to do their performance reviews and you're good at five things and now you're really bad at three. So let's work on the bad three ones. No, I don't think that's a good idea. I think let's work on the the five that do well. So I say to people, you know, strengthen what's working, forget about the rest. Um, And I think the third one then is, is just to make, you know, take a breath. It's a very old fashioned idea to just breathe well. Um, and again, that's something that, um, you know, singing and, uh, you know, having a good laugh and all of those, anything where your, your breath is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people will do that through yoga or with meditation, whatever. But, you know, you can do it at the traffic lights. Just take a good deep breath. Yeah, exp- expand your, your, your rib cage. Yeah. I did that this morning. Maura, it's really interesting. You know, I, I'd never heard of... I, I'm a big believer and I have always pushed people to focus on their strength and outsource their weaknesses, right? So I'm the, and I, I don't hear many people say that, but I love the way you've spun it to being an asset-based approach. And I think that's really interesting. Maura, I have, I am literally just jumping out. My soul is ready to jump out. It has been a masterclass. I, I'm almost emotional, to be honest, because... There is so much that I've had to take in. I cannot wait to re-listen to this. There's one thing being here, having this conversation. It's another thing. I know that Alex, our producer, 
has said to me that he's gone back and he listened to all of them and he's just like, Christian, these are like incredible. And, and I think what's wonderful is that when you have incredible people, everything else is really easy. But I think the message that you've really shone through today or that should shine through is that you have to be purpose or passion led in everything you do. Um, and then you've got to work really bloody hard because there is nothing easy in what you've said today. And I think that's what um, has really impressed me. I mean, I always thought that I was one of the few people that could get a lot done. I'm humbled today because I've got so much more work to do, but I have so much more work to do in a much more disciplined way. One point you made earlier is, is use the small amounts of time. You were talking about washing the dishes. And I think that that is a really prime example of why you're a top achiever. You use every minute that the Lord has granted you to do something that helps someone else. And I think it's this unselfishness um, that you have. And it has, that's what it's coming through for me. And even the work you're doing and, and I, you know, with, with inclusion and diversity and helping, you know, women in general, not just young startup founders and, and whatnot like, because we also know the startups founders aren't young. You can be in your 70s and start a startup. Absolutely. And I think that's the big thing that we've got to also make people aware of. You know, to be truly entrepreneurial, the data I think is now that you become a real entrepreneur at 44. Yeah, that's you right. Know? Um, so there is still hope for me. Uh, I have just turned 44. So mm-hmm. it's. Uh, You're you about know, to hit that peak. I, <laughs> I don't know if I'd ever peak. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here and I say to myself, Lucy says all the time, she says, Christian, when are you going to stop? And I said, never. I said, there's no point in me saying that, you know, I mean, if I, if I didn't want to continue, I could have retired three years ago. Like, that's it. But, you know, as the universe provides, you've got to keep giving. And I think that's the thing. When you truly align yourself with what you want to do, and you have, and that's why I'm inspired, because I know that I'm on the right path. But today I've, I've gone, you know what, there's a couple of things I need to just focus on a little bit more and, and, and use what I have. I, I, I'm a big believer that I've never done enough. Right? It's kind of that imposter syndrome. And, I, and, I've, and I've worked on it. I've spent time with my psychiatrist on it, psychologist, and everyone's always like, Christian, just don't be so hard on yourself. Yeah. But the reality of it is I don't want to change that part of me. That's my strength. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and, and you know, what I've learned is how not to demand the same from others because mm-hmm. what I've learned is others don't have that same will. Mm-hmm. And you need to appreciate that. That's a big thing I've learned in life is you need to appreciate everybody for what they have and therefore helping them live their best life, maybe whatever, you know, my children, I look at those two and I am so madly in love with my kids. It is, it's, and I'm happy to admit it, you know, father and son camp, Leonardo, all the other boys, you know, we had 44 dads um, and 46 boys, we had a couple of twins. And, you know, when it was bedtime story that Andrew Lee read to everyone, he's a fellow, for, a fellow from Harvard and Stanford, and, he was here and he read them a bit. Yeah, it was my son sitting on my lap. And everyone was like, does he always do that? He said, yeah, our boys don't do that anymore. My son will sit there and play with my ears. And, yeah, you know, and, and I love that. And, and to me, you know, that's the home that we've wanted to create. But it takes effort, just like all the effort that you put in. Maura, I want to thank you deeply from the bottom of my heart for being here today. I know you're an incredibly busy woman and um, a busy person uh, doing a lot of remarkable things. And I want to thank you because it's, I actually think this has transformed me just speaking to you. And you've made a dream of mine come through. So hopefully this will be only the first of many conversations that we have. I certainly know that I'm going to table you for an event for next year. And I think that is going to have 
a huge impact on a lot of people. Um, Maura, thank you for joining me on today's podcast and I look forward to sharing it with you and the rest of our audience. Thank you so much for the invitation. Thank you. Cheers. Are you ready to start taking action on your business? Would you like to spend more time with your family? Then call 1300 643 229 and start building momentum right now. I know you're busy. In fact, you are so busy that you don't have time to work on your business or yourself. Often tossing and turning at night, worrying about the how-tos and the cash flow. How on earth can you possibly get off the hamster wheel so that you can take a helicopter view to see where you'll be in 90 days, one year, or three years from now. In this program, I will take you from sleepless nights to blissful sleep. You'll have more time with your family and you will have the clarity and direction so you can grow and flourish. Call 1300 643 229 now and start building momentum.